Welcome back to the Audio Cilantro Podcast, where today Josh was really excited to talk about submarines. Revolutionary War submarines. Okay, so some quick background from uh, just the little bit of research we did. Um, when Josh brought this up, it, it felt weird to me just how early submarines were a thing. First instance of them that I found was in 1578 by uh, William Bourne, Englishman, but the first one built was uh, Cornelius. Ar- yeah, Cornelius Drebbel, um, 1620s, which that also <laughs> kind of surprised me because it was a lot less shit than I thought it would be. It could submerge between 12 and 15 feet, and supposedly King James is uh, said to have written on it. Huh. I guess 12 to 15 feet isn't too consequential if you... What what I thought it would be like was, uh, you know, just inches below the surface. Oh, yeah. I found some pretty interesting... uh... But uh, tell us about the Revolutionary War one, because that was what you were excited about. Yeah. Uh, David Bushnell, right? Yep, David... Bushnell. He was a Yale graduate, came up with the idea for the uh, original submarine. It was called the Turtle. And what the Turtle was, was this little sphere, almost like a barrel. And it was sealed up like a barrel would be. Yeah, looking at it, like the pictures Mm -hmm. you find when you search this, you ever see those daredevils who are like, I'm floating down Niagara Falls? Oh yeah, yep, that's what it looks like. It looks like that. Looks like a Niagara Falls Or barrel brass. Yeah. And uh, it has a propeller. It has a way to steer. It has a way. So it has a propeller in the front and on the top so that you can go down or you can go up. So I don't think it worked like a typical submarine does now with like a ballast, um, which is just a big pocket of air that floods with water to sink or empties the water to rise. Um, So I think literally he had to like sit there with his little levers and pulleys and (laughs) spin to keep down. But since this was an original idea and it was invented to fight in the Revolutionary War against the British, um, they wouldn't have seen it coming. But the extremely tragic ending to this, um, I'll just cut to the conclusion and then we'll work back uh, to the actual operation of the machine. But the really unfortunate conclusion was that this guy got in this little experimental submarine and it was actually put into use, into combat. They tried to go sink a ship. But when he got there, the bottom of the ship, the hull of the ship, was actually um, coated with uh, copper sheeting. And that was to keep, okay. yeah, that was to keep, uh, you know, the ship fresh. But he couldn't get his little drill through the copper sheeting. I don't know the exact numbers for the amount of air that they were able to uh, use. I think it was... Uh, From what I saw is you got around a half hour of good use. Yeah. So he he sputted out there, <laughs> got there, probably exhausted. Imagine how hot it is in there. There's no ventilation. You only have 30 minutes of air. And the problem is, is uh, I forget what they call it when you, when oxygen, there's not enough oxygen in the air to like, for brain function. Um, hypoxia? Yeah. So you go into hypoxia and you start pretty much going crazy and like getting tired and stuff like that and he was going through that as he's sitting here manually trying to drill this bomb attach this bomb to the side of this ship um and he couldn't get through because the copper shooting but good story is he didn't die he made it back (laughs) that was one of the things that i thought was funny about this story insanely physically taxing but Mm. this dude was kind of frail Mm. and only he could work the thing 
the controls were hard to use, so you couldn't get some jacked dude to be like, you know, put it into turbo drive. Yeah, it was insane. Um, so that was the turtle. And it didn't go much further after that, um, but the idea stuck around. Well, one thing that was really notable about it was uh, it's the first known use of a propeller on a craft. Oh, really? Yeah. Like a sea like craft? Like, the others before, I think they used screw propulsion. Oh, like yeah. Like the Archimedes screw. Yep, yep. And uh, the construction of it was also interesting, just because, well, I thought it was notable because of the guy's name, Isaac Doolittle. And I'm like, ah, Dr. Doolittle. There weren't any animals. But... But he could talk to him if there was. Uh, <laughs> no. He, he was a clockmaker. Oh, I wonder if he's like normal blacksmiths weren't good enough to fabricate the parts. So it had to be like, very intricate. Guys, I got this. That's crazy. So in a 1785 letter to Thomas Jefferson, George Washington wrote, Bushnell is a man of great mechanical powers, fertile in inventions and master of execution. <laughs> I then thought and still think that it was an effort of genius. That is what George Washington said to Thomas Jefferson. And I think it's I think it's an underrated true American story, you know? It's the Revolutionary War, which all other wars have some amount of controversy after that, except for maybe World War Two, you know? But like this was like the quintessential war and nobody talks about the turtle. It's a it's like an American invention for a submarine, a lasting time true warcraft. <laughs> Um, and it's just, it's just crazy that it was an American invention. You, you were going against the superpower. You don't you think the, you know, the, the British would have been like, well, like, <laughs> let's put a ship underwater. Nice British accent. <laughs> I'm usually pretty good at those. <laughs> underwater. I might, let's put this ship, let's put a boat underwater and we'll send it across the bay. All right. And then we'll fucking put a thing in there. And blow it up. Yeah, I, I don't know where that's <laughs> going. That's from. What I think's funny. Imagine if it would have worked, right? Mm-hmm. And we just have like fleets of these egg barrels just killing all the British boats. It would work so good. The other interesting part of this. Oh, and it was done on September seventh, seventeen seventy six. It's perfect. It's a perfect story. Oh. Something else I thought was kind of cool about the timeline. Hmm. You mentioned the hypoxia earlier. Uh-huh. They would have actually known about this. Just barely, though, because the oxygen and how it relates to biology was discovered in 1774. Oh, so this was just a test subject. Like, <laughs> <laughs> he's like, okay, well, the mice I put in this closed jar. <laughs> <laughs> they run out of air somehow. <laughs> It's not just a super awesome thing. On the other side of that, the the uh, first submarine to actually sink a ship to accomplish its mission was a Confederate submarine. Did you see that? The I HL didn't. Hunley. But yeah, that HL Hunley was a, a Confederate submarine that sunk a Union ship. That was the first case of it ever happening. It was designed in Mobile, Alabama. It was named after the guy who funded it it could hold nine crewmen which is crazy and if you look up pictures of it it it's like the you know like the turtle looks just like a barrel in the water yeah (laughs) he might as well have his feet sticking out and just paddling 
But this looks oh, like yeah, this, it looks like a legit submarine. Yeah, it's like a proper submarine. And um, but it was hand crank. Yeah, yeah. But it had six crewmen, so it was a pretty big ship. And uh, it was shipped to Charleston, South Carolina, from Alabama in 1863 launched in july and they did practice runs and what it says is it it went to the bottom three times with great loss of life including hunley himself so the guy who funded it and it was named after died and pretty much what happened is it would go to the bottom as a test run all the guys would die and then they would hoist it back up and they would open it be like shit they're all dead but it success, uh, successfully attacked the Union uh, ship, the Housatonic, with a spar torpedo in February of 1864, sinking it. So this is the one that like also sunk itself? Yep, yep. And shortly after it sunk that ship, it sank. And all eight, there were eight crewmen on it, and they all died. <laughs> Isn't it like, it feels weird to me that they kept going back to the idea. Especially with the... H.L. Hunley, right? It sank three times, and then they're like, hold on. Third time. One Fourth success, time. though. And what's crazy is that it sunk at a depth of 30 feet, which you don't think 30 feet's a lot, but I guess if you're in a big metal... Salvaging. Yeah, a big metal thing. Um, but it was four miles off the coast. Yeah, that, that sounds like a nightmare. And it was not recovered until 1995. That's how long it took. It took like about 100 years. It took 100 years for them to get it, um, which I guess makes sense. How are you going to get it with, you know, they don't have sonar. They don't have, it's like, oh, well. <laughs> we tried. They didn't come back, so do we wait? They're it's off get, being heroes. It's getting kind of dark. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it was just crazy. And they, that, yeah, it was a torpedo. So um, essentially what I think it was was like, a ramming device really like it, it operated kind of like a like a trireme like a, one of those ancient boats you know oh like with the yeah yeah it has a big prong at the end so that's really what the idea was is that you just build up enough speed poke it into the boat and get away as fast as you can so they say that the blast from the torpedo that sunk the Housatonic produced a shock wave that ruptured blood vessels in the men's lungs oh my <laughs> that sounds horrific and there's actually a word for it. They call it blast lung. These guys yeah, got that, a case of blast lung. That sounds horrific. Um, it either killed the crew instantly or incapacitated them, causing the Huntley to sink. Because they had to manually do everything. So. so what I view as is the first good one is the USS Holland, which was made in 1900. It had dual motors and propellers. So, one for going underwater, which was battery-powered and electric, and a gasoline engine for, you know, surface cruising. And it had the torpedo system in place so that you didn't have to poke the enemy ship with a stick. <laughs> Very important. And that's a whole other can of worms with torpedoes. Because for a long time, they used uh, com compressed air, kind of like you would fill up they would fill up like a like a ball, like a basketball. They would do that with torpedoes, and then when it would release, oh, and just let it go. Yeah, and the bubbles would spin the propeller. That's why you saw the bubbles come out. Oh, yeah, it was compressed air, like a big 
a big tube of compressed air with a bomb at the end. Um, and that's what they did with the uh, with the German submarines, the U-boats. And the U-boats were like the first time that submarines were used in massive conflict. And to like, actually successful. Yeah, like super successful. Like nothing was getting around the U-boats. <laughs> and uh, they would, the, the Germans actually utilized them a lot like a wolf pack. So they would have like fleets of these U-boats that would encircle ships and fleets of ships and just cause massive devastation. But the idea of being on one of these early submarines, even in like World War One or World War Two, is just so frightening. So frightening, because they do depth charges. And what a depth charge is meant to do is not meant to blow up the U-boat or blow up a submarine. It's meant to compress the water around it so that it just smushes it. <laughs> so you just get <laughs> smushed. So something that's you don't really see anymore i mean it kind of stopped in world war ii is the invention of these weird weapons hmm. i think the turtle definitely falls into that category you know it's just some strange vehicle and it's like why did you make this <laughs> really peaked in world war ii because they're just like everything will try it imagine if it worked though another weird design for a boat that they had was like sort of to uh combat the um u-boats was a. Uh, Project Habakkuk. So this was an aircraft carrier made out of picrete huh. instead of, you know, steel or iron. Which, if you don't know what that is, it's like a mixture of water and wood pulp. Yeah. And then they freeze it, which makes it really durable. But the thing is, it melts. I heard that that's like like more like stronger than most metals. Because when you try and damage it, there's, like, the plastic deformation. Mm. Instead of it just breaking or shattering, mm. it bends. Like, Are you familiar with the Kugel Pansel? No. What is that? It's a spherical tank. And there, there's been a little bit of debate on what it was used for, because it could only fit one person and supposedly had a machine gun mounted on it. And there's only, like, one surviving model in the Sounds tank museum in Moscow. Is it German? Yeah, it's German. Um, they shipped one to Japan, I think, too. Huh. I looked up spherical tank, and it just came up with actual spherical tanks for holding water. <laughs> <laughs> uh, K-U-G-E-L-P-A-N-Z-E-R. Kugelpanzer. Looks like this. Yes, sir. That? What is that even meant to do? Smush people? <laughs> well, it's just super weird early weapon designs. Huh. There's been speculation that it was a scouting vehicle. But the other thing I wanted to tell you about, like, is in World War II they got on this big kick of using animal bombs. Really? Like, like birds? Like pigeons? Or rats? Didn't they well, do rats? They've done all sorts of things. So there was rat bombs, there was bat bombs, there was tank dogs, there was pigeon bombs. The pigeon one's actually kind of interesting because... Everything else I mentioned, mm -hmm. it's all the same idea. Like, you just strap a bomb to some animal and you teach it to go somewhere, or it just naturally goes somewhere. Mm. Like, with the bats, they just nest in dark places and get Explode. fires all over the enemy camp. But with the pigeon thing, they were actually used as the guidance system. Oh, really? So, yeah, you'd uh, 
It was actually, you know who Skinner is? The Skinner box guy? Uh-uh. So he's the guy who, um, it's the button with the rat, you know? Like, yep. push the button, you'll get food, but now it gives you a shock and you'll keep doing it. Okay. Is it Project Pigeon? Yeah, Project Pigeon. So there'd be three s- separate screens on it and the pigeon would tap with its beak where the target was. Oh, yeah, I've seen that. Yeah. Was it was it like this? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it was not a pigeon flexing on a missile. Yeah, that's, that's it right there, right? There yeah, the on. three screens. So it was conditioned to, like, tap what it thought the boat was, and that would adjust the fins. Because mm. that was before, um, you know, radio guidance. Do you think you could ever be on a submarine crew? Oh, the food's good, right? Is or it? is that a myth? I don't know. But I think the the idea of the submarine is just so profound because the idea of going into the depths of the ocean, to me at least, is much more frightening than going into space. Because at least in space, you still have some... Like, obviously, you don't have oxygen, and, you know, it's, it's like, absolutely fucked. But, like, the technology's there. But even if you took that same technology that we use in space, which technically we do when we go into the ocean... It's still infinitely more scary to go into the ocean because of the pressures. I don't know. But both would be a little... You're, you're not strapping a bomb underneath you when you dive, but then everything around you, it's like, okay, there's no defects, right? Am I going to get crushed? Yeah, like the guy who dove the deepest in a submarine, it was like 35,000 feet underwater. So that means you have 35,000 feet of water pressure and atmospheric pressure compressing your vessel. The funny thing is, like, doing something like that, just why? You it's know, insane. there's nothing down there for you to see. Yeah. Oh, that, well, we always find stuff, and it's always, like, the creepiest. Like, most, nope, nope, this is the mermaid. Found it's, him. like, the hella, most hellish shit we've <laughs> ever seen. You know, it's like, what is that? Oh, it's a 10-foot crab with pencil legs, <laughs> and it eats volcanic fumes. What? <laughs> How'd it get down there? <laughs> Some of those deep sea stuff are pretty cool, though. Like, uh, the snail that, um, they live on the edge of the volcanic vents, and they've incorporated iron into their shell. And they're really? one of the only animals that have done this. That's insane. Is that for, just because that's the only thing available to them? Uh, just to be badass and just cool. Just to be cool? Just to be iron shell snail? <laughs> iron shell snail. If that's not the name of it, then I don't know what the fuck they're doing with their lives. The Iron Shell Snail. Yeah, like, look, look at this thing. It's just absolutely monstrous. Oh my gosh. Looks like a tumor. <laughs> <laughs> Everything down there does. And the problem is, is like when they bring it up to the surface, there's so much change in pressure. Oh, that yeah. Just... The blobfish gets a bad rap. Because it like, doesn't look like just that. Just some listicle randomly says... It's the ugliest animal ever, and everyone believes them. It's but you it's like, it all my feet. cells have exploded. <laughs> and usually I'm under incredible pressure. <laughs> I don't actually look like this. Like, what sort of evolutionary... Tra- and that's the crazy thing about evolution. We're, we're just trying to catch up to these things, and, and to even see them, it takes a massive amount of technology to get a submarine down there. But life has found a way down there. Like, what the fudge... 
Why? What evolutionary pull made you want to go to the depths of the ocean to suck out a volcanic vent? <laughs> There's food down there, man. <laughs> and then, have you seen the big whale carcass, like, feeding pits? Oh, yeah, it just yeah. disappears in, like, a week. Yeah, yeah, and all these, all the animal life from this, you know, close to the surface dies and floats down there, and all of these animals just crawl out of their little holes and just chow down they don't see light oh it's crazy that's the crazy thing too is the dissipation of light underwater like at some point it's only blue light and then it just goes away it's crazy and like colors change as you go deeper into the ocean i'm digressing well i know that you have to do like special lighting because your depth uh, perception is super off because everything is like a big line so like it's hard to tell where you are like how far something is so they have to do special lighting every so often so that you can tell the depth of where you're walking in a modern submarine because they're so big too but like the ones now are huge compared to the turtle (laughs) like what's what's a crew bring back the turtle yeah what's the crew of like what's a modern a crew of about 134 yeah, you could just build 134 turtles that are being for your buck. <laughs> oh man, it would work now. Drill technology has gotten way better. So he could have attached the bomb with the modern drill. <laughs> submarines, can, Modern submarines can submerge more than 600 feet below the ocean's surface for up to four months at a time. That's We've come a long way from the turtle's 30 minutes at like two feet. <laughs> Well, no, the turtle is, like, up to 20, which, that was shocking to me. I just found it shocking that they built it like a barrel. You know, it wasn't like a... Uh, made of oak reinforced with iron bands. Like a barrel. What? So with the turtle, um, I'm looking at the original design schematic. Sure. And I love that the guy's sitting there in, like, a full three-piece suit. <laughs> <laughs> Just going on a putt in the turtle. Derry, I'll be back. <laughs> Just going to go in the... <laughs> With the powdered wig. <laughs> Just going to go down the Potomac for a putt. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, it's like a three-piece. Yeah. Oh, it's so funny. Oh, so the propeller was in the front. Yeah. Okay, so there's one for uh, submerging. Yep, the top one. Vertical screw f- for submerging. Then you had the propeller. And then okay. there was a pump. And then at the back of it, so the... I That's guess that makes rudder. sense. Yeah, well, the, above the rudder is the detachable mine. So he had to back up to the <laughs> ship. He had to, so he had to go forward, flip a Yui, you know, flip, go do a 180, back up to the boat. I guess that makes sense because you don't want to, like... When you detach the mine and the mine's set, you don't want to have to go backwards to get away. <laughs> that, that takes some foresight. That takes some ingenuity. Attaching screw. I, I don't know. Looking at this, I'm like, this is the guy George Washington says is bursting with inventions. <laughs> <laughs> get my war suit. <laughs> oh, I love this guy. <laughs> of course, this guy was unmarried. Bushnell. Bushnell was unmarried, living at home. He ended up being the head of the 
Army Corps of Engineers, which is kind of cool. Everyone's like, love the submarine design. <laughs> That's pretty cool. What else can you do? It's a powdered wig that doesn't get wet when you're destroying British ships. <laughs> okay, so the other thing that's kind of interesting about this is it's a stealth craft. When this is around the same time where they're like, okay, we're doing a war. Everyone line up in a straight line. We'll shoot at each other until someone wins. Meanwhile, Bushnell's like, no! Nah. Submerge! <laughs> Well, anyways, I do think it really is the start of uh, what weird technology can we make up to outwit the enemy? And it kind of stopped in World War II, or after World War II, because you get the turtle, and people are trying submarines for the next hundred years. And now, you know, you fast forward to 2023, and now you have fleets of submarines that have world-ending they don't even have to tell. They don't even have to. They don't even have to stay accountable to the U.S. government. That's how elusive these things are. Uh, but I just saw a news article from July first, twenty nineteen. So there was a fire on a Russian nuclear-powered submarine in the in the Barents Sea, and it killed fourteen of the crew. And it said, according to Russian sources, they died preventing a catastrophe of global proportions. Well, have you ever heard of that guy who, like, practically single-handedly stopped what would have been World War Three? Uh, oh, he didn't want to press the button, right? Like, he... Yeah, so it was a guy in a Russian submarine. I think it was Stanislav Petrov. Wasn't there, like, a miscommunication? Yeah, yeah there was, like, some type of bad signal or, you know, false alarm that said the U.S. has shot the missiles. Hmm. And he's like, I don't know if I buy it. Let's not do anything. Yeah. Whereas if he's like, nope, go, go, do it now. Like, Jeez. what the? <laughs> That's insane, dude. That's insane that at some point, and maybe even now, at some point in our history, that's what it came down to. It was like one guy getting false information in like a key, a keystroke away from <laughs> ending the world. It's insane. That's the capabilities of these things now. You know, they're nuclear powered. They're they have nuclear capabilities with warheads, and they're just floating around in the freaking sea everywhere. And that was all sparked by Bushnell <laughs> making a little barrel with a guy that puts a stick on a bo- on a boat. <laughs> yeah, the turtle's definitely a interesting footnote in history. That's about all. I hope you join us next week for our part two interview with brendan walker uh where he takes us through a tasting and we figure out that i don't know what fruit smells like (laughs) (laughs) thank you for joining us have a good week bye